We apologize. But due to technical difficulties, the quality of the audio of this recording is greatly diminished. Good morning. All right, today's scripture comes from Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This has been God's word. Well, our passage this week uh, closes out the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. And, and Paul has dropped a ton of knowledge throughout this book. You've been along for the ride or you've read the book, then you know like he has dropped a ton of knowledge, a ton of doctrine, a ton of theology. In fact, can you imagine what it would be like to be the first recipient of this letter? Uh, it, the way it would have happened is in, in a gathering, maybe something like this, the believers would have gathered and they said, hey, the Apostle Paul has sent us a letter, they sent us his epistle, and they would read the letter to the church. And can you imagine just like their minds being blown as they're just reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, just dropping all this knowledge and wisdom, this theology, this doctrine on them. Uh, Paul has laid out out in a grand scale, like the history of the world. He's taught about how we as human beings have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we've worshipped things other than the one who is alone truly worthy of worship. He has showed how because of that, mankind is under God's righteous judgment. And then he's shown that, that we can be saved from that judgment. We can be saved from our sin by the gracious gift of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone. And, and then he's shown us that for those of us that receive that, that, that receive that grace, that receive that mercy, that he shows us the glory that is ahead of us the glory of the new heaven and the new earth. He's shown us like God's plan for the Jews, his chosen people that we see in the Old Testament, and he's shown us God's sovereignty in salvation. And now Paul does the only thing that makes sense to him, and it might seem kind of weird to you and me if, you, if we don't see it the way that Paul sees it. Paul does the only thing that he possibly can do after running out this grand plan of salvation, after laying out the gospel and all the things that God has done for us in Christ, he does the only thing that Paul can do in what he does he sings he drops a doxology uh, what a doxology is it it's a, it's a word that comes from from two greek words the doxa which is what we're named after and logos or word so doxa means glory or honor or praise it means to ascribe glory to something it's just to say that glory is due to something and logos means word so a doxology is a word are words of glory or words of praise it is a it's worship it's stopping and worshiping Worship at its core, here's what it is. Maybe you're new to Christianity and you're trying to figure out, like, maybe that's like a word, you're like, I don't understand what that actually means. Or maybe you've been around for a while and you, you might think when I say the word worship, you think about a, a group of people who usually in another time and, and place uh, wouldn't be wearing masks, we'd be standing up and we'd be singing together. Like worship is a part of a service that Christians observe. But actually, worship is something deeper and, and more meaningful than that. Worship at its core, I'm not gonna, this isn't a theological definition, it's just kind of a, our working definition for this morning. Uh, worship is a gut level, 
all right? A gut level, reflexive response to something of great value. Worship is a, a gut level, a, a reflexive response to something of great value or weight. That's what, that's a picture that has the, to do with glory. And when the, in the ancient languages, the word, the, the word glory has this picture of weight. It's, it's this idea of something that's weighty that pulls things to itself. Like a, like a planet pulls things in orbit around it. A great mass pulls things to themselves. The idea is that God is of such great weight and such, such magnificence that he pulls things in around it. And whenever we, we see something of value, because we are all made to be worshipers of God, when we see something of value, we are prone to worship it, to ascribe value to it. It's something that we all do. We're all worshipers. Uh, you, you might recoil from that idea. You might say, I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a worshiper because but what I'm describing here in worship is really a subservient position. It's recognizing that something or someone is of greater value or importance than I am. And as soon as I say that, many people, maybe probably all of us in this room to some extent in our souls recoil from that idea. You don't, none of us, very few of us, like to naturally think of ourselves as subservient to someone or something else. But we all are. We all, by nature, find something that's of value, something that's of weight, and we orbit ourselves around that person or around that thing. All of us do it. Even if you recoil from the idea, you do it. You may hate thinking of yourself as subservient. You might think, no, I don't serve anyone or anything. I am absolutely independent. You might say, hey, look, I'm not really a worshiper. I know people that do that. I'm a Christian, but I know Christians that really get into the worship thing. That's not the, kind of, that's not the way I'm put on the hook. I'm more of a, a mental guy. I'm more of a mental lady. I, I like to I, my, keep my faith personal and private. I keep it inside me, nothing outside of me. I see people who raise their hands or clap or really get into this thing, and that's just not who I am. That's not, what I, that's, not what I'm, that's not the way I'm built. Well, if that's the way that you think that you are, then I'll just say this. Check back with me when you're in love. If you think that you're not a worshiper, if you don't think you find something of greater value and you make yourself subservient to it or put yourself in orbit around it, then, then check back at me whenever you're at a concert of a band that you really like. If you don't think that you're a worshiper, check back with me whenever your team has a big game. If you don't think that you're a worshiper, check back with me whenever you meet your favorite performer. This, this is one of my uh, not favorite stories. It was one of my favorite stories about Justin Kramer, who I feel I, I can share this with, about him. Uh, some of us went to a, to a meeting, in, uh, and, and we were kind of hanging around, and this Christian hip-hop art, artist walks into this room named Shia Lim. And, uh, and Justin loved Shylin. He, he loved his music. He loved this guy. And, and I don't know if you guys have met Justin Kramer, but he comes across as sort of a smooth operator, right? Like, he, like I, I've got my stuff together. It was so funny. He walked up to Shylin, and all of a sudden, he couldn't, the man couldn't talk. He was like blubbering. He couldn't get across. Like, he got all like, almost like weak need. He walked away like, what just happened? I don't know why. Like, if you don't think that you're a worshiper, worshiper I'm not saying you worship Shylin. 
But if you don't think you're a worshiper, come back at me whenever you meet your favorite performer or actor or artist. If you don't think that you're a worshiper, check back with me whenever you're talking about politics. We all worship. It is what we do. And you can identify, if you want to know what is it that you worship or what is it that you find of greatest value or greatest weight, greatest doxa in your life, what is it that you find of greatest glory, the the most immense mass in your life, here's how you can tell. You can identify what you worship by what you serve. In fact, you can identify what you worship by what you look like, by how you act, by the way that you talk. In Psalm 115.8, the psalmist has been describing those who make idols and what a, like, just like the physical idols that you would, that they would worship. And he says this, he says, those who make them, those who make idols become like them, so do all who trust in them. We all worship. We all find something of greatest value or weight in our lives, and we orbit ourselves around them. That is the power and the weight of glory. It pulls us in. And here's the power of the gospel that Paul's been laying out in Romans. Remember he opened Romans and he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, because it is the power of God unto salvation. What is that salvation? It's being saved from worshiping false or lesser idols and turning our, our worship to that alone which is worthy of our worship. It frees, the gospel frees our worship from the false weight of false gods and places it where the true weight truly lies. And that is the point of doctrine. That's the point of theology. That's the point of studying scripture. That's the point of studying the Bible. The point is not simply increasing in knowledge. There's some of us in this room, you guys know a lot about the Bible. And it's so easy to confuse knowing where the books in the Bible are or knowing what order they're in or memorizing scripture or knowing what the book of Romans is about. There's a far difference. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that knowledge is what it's about when the point of the knowledge is to point me to the thing that is the weightiest thing in the universe. The point isn't knowledge or even right knowledge, though both of them are important. It's important to learn about God. It's important to learn Scripture. It's important to learn rightly about Scripture. But here's the reason that's important. They're not ends in themselves. They must, they must lead to worship. Doctrine must lead to doxology. Doctrine must lead to worship. Knowledge must lead to worship or it's faulty. It's, It's of very little use. Here's the truth. True understanding of God always produces adoration of God. True understanding of God always, always, always produces adoration for God. If you have knowledge that is not producing a heart of adoration for our almighty God, then your knowledge is faulty. And our our knowledge is faulty when it exalts our own opinion. 
when I get up, caught up thinking how my thinking about what the Bible says is right and other people are wrong. That may be true, but when I get caught up and that's the end, trying to prove my point, that my doctrine is pure, that my understanding of Scripture is right and yours isn't, then it's not leading to worship, it's pointed upon myself. My knowledge of God is faulty when it devalues other people around me. When I consider other Christians who believe wrongly or differently, when I consider them lesser Christians or lesser believers because they believe differently than I believe. Our knowledge of God is faulty when, it, when, when we don't value theology as well. You might be a person who just says, hey, I, don't, hey, I just want to love people and love God, and so I, I don't really study the Bible, I don't really study theology, I don't really care about right doctrine or right theology, that also devalues it. Because we need to see what Scripture has to say, because it's only through the Bible, it's only through the Gospel that we get a picture, a true picture of what God is. Because otherwise, you and I, here's what I know about you, apart from God breathing through Scripture into your soul, you and I are likely to build a false God that's built in our own image. The kind of God that you want to worship, that you're comfortable worshiping, and not the God, the Almighty Creator God, who's revealed to us in Scripture. So Paul has been pouring out knowledge about God. He's been laying out the gospel. He's been showing us God's nature and character. He's been showing us our sinfulness as mankind. He's been showing us God's work in redeeming us. He's been showing us Christ's death and his resurrection. He's been showing us how we are united to Christ in Jesus. He's in, through Christ. He's, he shows us how we are justified. We are being sanctified. And as Christians, we will be glorified in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he pauses. He takes a breath. And like a climber who's climbed up to the top of a peak, all of a sudden he looks out and he sees the vista before him. He sees valleys stretching down below him. He sees the rivers and the lakes below him. He sees mountain ranges around him. As far as the eye can see, he sees peaks. He sees peaks rising out around him. What I'm picturing in my head as I'm describing this is in our vacation a few weeks ago, our family got to drive up to the top. We drove. Drove to the top of Mount Mitchell, which is the tallest peak on the East Coast. And, and we're able to, to, to walk up this last part to the, to the peak, and we're able to look out over this vista. And when we got there, it was cloudy and rainy. Then all of a sudden, like the, the clouds started clear and we could see down into the into the valleys we could see lakes we could see for miles around we could see other mountain peaks the ranges all surrounding us and we could see the sun we could see the clouds we could see how over there it was raining all of a sudden Paul gets to this peak of theology and he looks out and he sees not words on a page but he sees the glory and the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ and he sings he worships he says, oh, the depths, picture up on the mountaintop looking down into the valleys, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Paul makes a positive and he makes a negative statement about God. He says, first of all, positive. He says, oh, the depths of the riches 
and the wisdom and the knowledge that God has. Can you imagine that? He's saying God possesses riches. He possesses wealth, untold wealth, riches of kindness, riches of patience, riches of glory that is bound up in God through Christ. We get to see it. He looks and he sees it. Oh, the depths of the riches. God possesses riches, untold wealth. He says, and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. God possesses unspeakable intelligence. There are mysteries that are hidden in God that we can't begin to fathom or understand. I'm preaching from an iPad right now. I am a country boy from South Carolina. I have no earthly idea how this thing works. It confounds me. It's amazing. But not only do I not understand, do I not understand how this iPad works, I, like, I've read and I've seen, but I still don't understand how I walk in a room and flip a switch and light shows up in the room. That boggles my mind. And that's just kind of base, kind of, for us today, modern human knowledge. There are people who could describe those things to you. There are amounts of human knowledge and wisdom that you and I, we can't, be, we can't put it all into our mind. It stretches vastly out. God's wisdom and knowledge makes that look like a candle to the sun. Oh, the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, they are his judgments are unsearchable. God is in complete control, he says. Oh, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's saying that God is in complete control. He possesses all power and all knowledge to execute that power. And then he makes a negative statement. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. What he's saying is, he says that our, and I'm going to make, a, 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 make up a term here because I like to do that, our createdness or our finiteness, if you want to use actual word, our createdness keeps us from being able to search out and understand the way God makes his decisions. We can't begin to comprehend them. And our sinfulness keeps us from being able to understand and properly interpret them, even if we could understand them. We're always misinterpreting the judgments and the ways of God because they are so far above us that we cannot even imagine it. Like an ant to a human. The weight of God's glory, whenever he created it, was meant to anchor us. It was meant to comfort us. It was meant to hold us in place like the, like the earth holds a satellite in place or the moon in place around it. It was meant to anchor us and hold us, but instead our sinfulness create, makes that weight fall upon our, our souls like a bowling ball upon fine china. It crushes us. We don't like to think of ourselves as subservient to him. 
But it's the gospel that opens our eyes to God's nature and character and shows us ours in contrast. When we see the nature and character of God, whenever you're actually able to see it through Christ, whenever he comes and opens your eyes to see the nature and character of God, that he is just and he is merciful, that he is holy and he is loving, that he is gracious towards us, that he is all-powerful and almighty. He knows all things and has all things under control. When we see that, when we truly see it, it produces worship or worship within us. We see he is of great value and we build our lives around him. We come into orbit around him. When we see our nature in contrast to God's, that he is holy and just and yet I am sinful, also that produces worship in me. I see he alone is worthy of honor and glory and value and everywhere I have tried to look to find that to put myself in orbit around something is unworthy and will not hold the weight seeing God's work of redemption in Jesus produces worship when I see God's perfect nature and character and I see my sinfulness and I see God, Christ coming in to bridge that gap and to redeem us through his death, burial, and resurrection. It produces worship for my soul. Seeing God's great plan to unite all things under the kingship of Jesus produces worship. And Paul says in verse 34 and 35, for who has known, he's quoting two Old Testament scriptures here, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God's never asked you or me for advice. He doesn't need it. He is perfect and complete in himself. He loves you, but he doesn't need you. He's not sitting in heaven whenever you and I make terrible decisions and we sin, saying, oh, what am I going to do now? I need to ask. I need to ask Dale what I should do in this situation. He's an utter and absolute, complete control. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We can't add anything to God. If you were to show up with God, if you were the richest person on the face of the earth, and you were to show, show up to God with the vast sum of your untold riches, and you were to throw them down before him, it wouldn't add anything to what he possesses because he created whatever you got that from. And that, you know what that can make us feel? It can make us feel small. But it should. That's the good kind of small. It's the kind of small that you feel whenever you're stand, standing underneath like a really starry sky and you see the vast expanse of space above you. It's that feeling whenever you're standing by or you're, God forbid, in the middle of the ocean in a boat and looking around the vast ocean around you. It's the feeling of smallness that you get when you're on the top of a mountain or looking up from below or standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Why does it matter if we worship? Verse 36, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him, that's God, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.
He says that God is the source of all things. God is the power behind all things. He is the end of all things. In fact, what he's saying is that he is the source of all things and we're all flowing back to him. He created us for his glory and our role is to glorify him in return. We're recipients of this amazing creation. If you're a believer in Christ, you're the recipient of his amazing salvation and he has created that to return to him back in worship, worship, glory, honor back to him. Why does it matter if we don't worship God? Well, it matters for God because we aren't giving him the glory that he is due. He is due all honor and all glory and all praise. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Why does it matter for us? Because when we don't worship God, when we put ourselves in orbit around something else of lesser weight and we consider it to be of great weight, when we put something else in the the weighty place that God is supposed to be, it robs us of our purpose. Do you know why you feel purposeless in life? Because you are worshiping things that are not worthy of your worship. At the very core of your DNA, you might be talented in lots of different ways, and we are all talented in different ways. But the the purpose of all those talents and abilities, the purpose of the breath that we have itself, is to glorify God or worship Him. That is our purpose and our role. And when we find other things to put ourselves in orbit around, we will always feel purposeless because we aren't fulfilling what God made us to do. When we don't worship God, it robs us of our purpose and it skews how we value everything else. We tend to misvalue things when we aren't setting our values from the very core from what it should be. Everything else gets skewed. You know why some of your lives, some of our lives are such a mess? Because your priorities are vastly out of whack. And it's not just because you just need to have a better day timer, but it's because your value, your worship, your orbit is revolving around something or some things other than the Lord. Why does it matter if we worship God? Because when we don't, it sets us against the all-powerful and almighty Lord of all. Here's why Paul is singing. Because the gospel shows us yet another layer of God's glory. God is not only unsearchable and inscrutable in his judgments and his ways, but the reason Paul, in just his sheer holiness and glory, Paul is singing here because he's been laying out that that almighty, holy God came to us. The one who is unsearchable came to us in Jesus. The one who the one who created all things and who will create, he will recreate those who acknowledge him. And all we have to do is call upon him. And that leaves Paul in wonder and all he can do is sing. God is holy and mighty and he is unsearchable and inscrutable and here's why I don't understand it because he is holy and mighty and he came for us in Christ. 
And he didn't create a ladder that we have to climb up for salvation. He said, here's how you can be saved. Simply call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He says, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that he died upon the cross for your sins and you will be saved. He didn't create a path for you to walk down in order to earn salvation back from him. He came and offers it free to every single human being regardless of your resume, regardless of your character, regardless of your deeds, freely offered through Christ. The great power of this unsearchable, inscrutable God is at work to redeem us. And that should cause all of us from our soul to sing and to say, how glorious is our God. God is the weightiest thing in the universe. And here's the question that we end with this morning. Is he the weightiest thing in your life? God is the weightiest thing in the universe. Is he the weightiest thing in your life? Or are you fighting against his glory? Are you fighting against being in orbit around him? Is he receiving the glory and the honor from you that his glory deserves? And if not, what do you do? Tell me what to do. What I already said, call out to him. Confess him as Lord. Accept his sacrifice for you through Christ and experience his life in you. He will open your eyes to see his glory and his beauty and you will respond in worship, in worship, to him and around him. Now, if you're here this morning and you are a believer, my question to you is, is your doctrine, in fact, is your manner of life leading you to doxology? Is your life leading you to worship? If not, then it's time to realign yourself. What is it that you are serving? What is it that you're becoming like? If you, you aren't growing as a Christian, no matter how much head knowledge you're getting, if your heart isn't growing in adoration. So let's ask the Lord himself to awaken our eyes, all of us this morning afresh, and bring us into worshipful orbit around his glory. And make us a people who don't just think that we have to think, but who sing from our heart. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For Jesus, for from you and through you and to you are all, all, all things. To you alone be glory forever and ever and ever I didn't get that. and ever. Amen.